How does the Utah offense match up against the Oregon State defense? We're talking about it on today's Locked On Utes. You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Lockdown Utes your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube and wherever you may get your podcast. My name is JT Wish, so former intern inside the University of Utah Athletic Department. If this is your first time joining our show. Make sure you guys like and subscribe. We are on our way to 2,000 subscribers. I believe we're closing in on that, too, so appreciate all you guys for supporting our show and for those of you who will hopefully soon be supporting our show by hitting that subscribe button. Um, but that we appreciate you guys for listening as always, especially those of you who are everyday listeners. Today's episode is brought to you of today's episode of Locked On Utes is brought to you by eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit. Only available to the U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions do apply. On today's show, we're going to be talking about some of the injured youths that Coach Witt said might be returning this week. We're not going to speculate on like, oh, will they play or will they not? I'm just going to talk about if they come back, what will they add to this team? And then in the final segment, talk a little Utah men's and women's basketball just since they began practice today. Crazy, I think their season is coming up, but I believe we're about a month and a few month and a week or so away from those getting underway. So crazy how quickly it's come about. But first, got to start with this Utah offense versus the Oregon State defense. Yesterday, we broke down how the, the Utah defense and the Oregon State matchup. I think it's going to be a great physical battle back and forth. And I think the Utah offense versus the Oregon State one could be that as well. But Utah needs to need some things to happen in their way coming off. This is another really good defense. And even though they got gashed a little bit by Cam Ward, but the Cam Ward and Washington State Cougars team does something at a high level that, especially against Oregon State, that Utah hasn't done at a high level all year. And that's just have a, a, an aggressive and efficient passing attack for four quarters. That, that's something that has not happened for this Utah team uh, outside of maybe the Weber State game, you could say, when they moved the ball and scored 31, but one FCS versus top 20 team, which this Oregon State team still is after losing on the road. Only lost that one by three. I know they had the late comeback still, but um, to make it only a three-point loss, but that was on the road to a top 20 team also in what Washington State is now too, as we know. So either way, this is an Oregon State team that's really good. And before we dive into what Utah will need to do against them, let's talk about what Utah is facing with this Oregon State defense. This Oregon State defense is good. It's not as good as last year's. It's still very good. And I'll say this. I think the UCLA one is a little better right now based on what I've seen, but I still, especially this defense at home is capable of making some plays too. But it was what did I see for them against Washington State in particular? Well, I do think there's some things Utah can take advantage of, right? Like they gave up a couple of QB runs. I think that is something where Utah using Jalen Glover or whatever the running back who's in as that extra lead blocker for Nate. I think that could be really beneficial because I do think this is a Utah offensive line that's going to create some holes for Nate and the running backs just in general to be able to run through too. They do they got pushed around at times against Washington State, but they also responded, only allowed barely a hundred yards rushing in the game overall. And even, I will say, late, too, in that game, Washington State got it inside the 10, and they I think they kept all but maybe all of them, all but one of them, like on the ground. They tried to punch it in on four downs inside the 10. They weren't able to get in. So the Utah offensive line, the Oregon State defensive line, is going to be a good back-and-forth battle, especially against the run. I, I don't know how good they'll be at generating pressure with just four. That's something they didn't have a lot of success against Washington State. 
Now, Utah's offensive line has had their struggles at times with twists and different things throughout the few games, so that's another back-and-forth battle, I think, there. But one I expect Utah to win in this one. They do have to do a good job in blitz pickup. They did get pressure on Cam Ward a couple times by bringing some exotic blitzes on him, and that's something also at times that Utah has struggled to pick up. I think even Kyle Whittingham mentioned that the running backs have to be better in pass protection, something that we figured would drop off because of the loss of Mackay Bernard, Utah's best pass-protecting back. But looking at some other things, too, on uh, on this defense Overall, um, Utah should definitely use the QB sneak game this week. I think that was something that there was a third and one. And just in general, I just don't remember much QB sneaks this season. Or even I love something like we've seen NFL teams do this where they'll motion the tight end to act like they're motioning the tight end across. And at the last second, the tight end gets under center and takes the snap and leans forward. Who's stopping Thomas Yasmin from getting a yard? I don't think I don't think anyone is going to be able to do that. So that's something I would uh, I'd love to see in that one, too. But, yeah, I think it'll be a back and forth battle uh, on the ground for uh, the Utes rushing attack and then the Oregon State rushing attack. Well, why did Washington State have so much success against the Oregon State defense? Well, Cam Ward threw for 404 yards, four touchdowns, and overall he had 28, 28 uh, passes Excuse me for 34 completions. A very efficient and just strong day for him. And credit the Washington State receivers. They made some really nice plays on the outside too, but Cam Ward made some nice throws. This is an Oregon State secondary that is liable to give up some big plays in this one. When you're talking about coverage busts, uh, I also think these DBs, like they do, they don't want to give up the big play, especially, and they struggle to defend some of that underneath stuff. So things like, like faking going deep, if you're talking about your curls, your stops, comebacks, all those type of routes, I think could work really effectively. This could be a big game for like a money parks to me, someone where it's like, you're scared of his speed. So then money runs a quick little curl or a comeback. And it's like, Oh, boom, he's, he's going to be open there. That's what I saw. A lot of Washington state had success doing against Oregon state. And I do think that's something that Utah can have success capitalizing because as we've also said on the show, I don't believe the off the problem with this offense currently is guys not getting open. I feel like guys have got open and whether it's missed throws by quarterbacks, not having enough time to execute it, or just once again, not giving those receivers more chances with the play calling. I think those are the three main reasons the passing game is not getting going. I don't feel like it's guys not creating separation. Now, of course, there's going to be plays where guys don't get open overall, but once again, that's I think those the, the times those happen are few and far between versus the times the other three issues for this Utah offense I laid out happening. Those happen a lot more frequently to me. So I, I think it's going to be a really good test for Nate Johnson, this one. Not just playing on the road in Corvallis in that rowdy and ruckus environment that it's going to be, but I think that he's there's going to be throws, and Nate Johnson is going to need to make them if Utah wants to win this game. I think Nate Johnson is coming off overall a step in the right direction in terms of his progression as a passing and just in general a quarterback in the UCLA game. That may seem like a hot take, but I felt like he still made – here's what I'm saying. He made some throws in that game – that I was like, okay, that shows growth and potential and all that. Whether you talk about the Jalen Glover throw, um, the first one, Devon Vailey, he was pretty open. But there was another late throw to Devon Vailey I thought was a nice find. He found Money Parks in one key situation too. So I thought Nate still had some nice moments reading the defenses. And once again, just wasn't really given an opportunity to in more sequences. I would have been much interested to see, like, if Utah doesn't score that touchdown earlier, I wonder how much the game plan would change. Or even if Utah fell behind early and UCLA was the one who scored first, I wonder as well if we would. I think we would have seen more passing yards from Nate Johnson because he did not turn the ball over interception-wise. Yes, he had the fumble, which hurt Utah, and he's not going to. He cannot fumble against Oregon State. Nate knows that. I think Nate is capable of stepping up and making plays. And as I said on yesterday's show too. I think Nate is capable of being part of the reason Utah wins. I don't think it's going to be like the defense gave up 25 points, but Nate Johnson scored four touchdowns in this one. I just don't. That's based on what we've seen so far. 
that would be too bold of a prediction for me to make. But I do think there is a potential for Nate to have a good game, and I think he will play better than he did last week because he's going to give him the opportunity to play better. I think Utah will throw the ball more because they'll recognize the advantage they'll have on the outside with their receivers. So it's going to be a fun matchup. I think both sides of the ball, as I've broken down, are going to be very fascinating just to watch and uh, see them play out. I think both sides have matchups they can hold advantages in, uh, slight and really strong advantages in. So... That's going to be fun. I'm I'm excited for Friday. It's still weird to think this game's on a Friday night, but uh, Friday Night Lights, I've always been a fan of that, so I'm still going to be. Obviously, we'll all be tuning in, and uh, I, I do think Utah can win this game. It's going to be incredibly difficult, but I do think Utah has a potential to win this game. So we're going to be breaking down that game more on tomorrow's show. Spencer McLaughlin, the Locked On Pac-12, will be joining me. There's no Locked On Beefs host, unfortunately, so uh, we'll do Spencer, who always does a great job and has done a great job covering the Beefs all offseason long, just as kind of all the other Locked On hosts do their 365 coverage. Spencer does that for every Pac-12 team, so he's going to do a great job with us tomorrow, talking and breaking down that game. Look forward to diving into that one and look forward to you guys checking that out. But before we get to it, Utah could be getting a boost by a, a boost to their roster in general with some of their injured players returning potentially for the Oregon State game. We're going to talk about which of those players might be returning and more so if they did return, what it would mean for this Utah team. We're going to be discussing that in one moment. But first, we want to talk to you guys about our friends at DoorDash. Love the convenience of getting what you want right to your door with DoorDash grocery delivery. You can stock up for the week or order last minute cravings conveniently. They have thousands of grocery stores to choose from, and you can find the best in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every order. Want even more value? You can save all your grocery and restaurant favorites with a $0 delivery fee on all eligible orders with Dash Pass membership. With easy substitutions right in the app and best-in-class customer support, DoorDash delivers groceries exactly how you want it. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to $20 value when you use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE at checkout. Limited time offer. Terms do apply. That's 50 percent off, off up to $20, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, not capitalized, no spaces, so LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, all undercase for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. Also, I want to talk to you guys about one of the other sponsors of our episode today in UCCU. Learn and earn the UCCU mobile banking app that pays your entire family to learn about money. Kids, they look to parents to become more financially literate, but parents, they don't always know the answers. Learn Earn breaks down financial topics into fun, bite-sized educational games like quizzes and trivia. Every time a family member completes a topic, they earn points that can occur and can be redeemed for gift cards to stores like Amazon, Apple, Sephora, Walmart, Nike, and more. There's age-appropriate content for every member of the family who can compete against each other and track their progress on leaderboards. Learn and Earn is inside the UCCU mobile banking app, so play it anytime, anywhere. The more you play, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more you earn. Learn and Earn, part of UCCU's award-winning B-Money smart youth banking program helping kids teens and parents have fun while becoming more financially literate together uccu love where you bank Alrighty, coming back into this one talk about some of the recent comments made at coach uh not coach witt's press conference but coach witch and just the players media availability this afternoon this first report comes uh, back from us from Kyle, from Josh Newman of KSL.com. He's a contributor there where he said, uh, Kyle Whittingham said this afternoon that if uh, Johnny Maya took, takes back center because Maya, O'Toole, and Fillinger were all possibilities, as Coach Witt alluded to in his post-game media press conference on Saturday after the game. So those are guys, and we'll talk about what O'Toole and Fillinger's addition can mean. But talk about Maya first. I did think it was interesting that he said if Maya does come back and take the center spot, that Jaron Kump, um, would remain somewhere inside. And and Josh Newman does a good job noting, too, just that 
compass started various other positions uh, throughout his career overall. Um, this is one I find very interesting. I don't see comp replacing. Obviously, Keaton Bills is like going to stay at left guard no matter what. He's one of the best offensive linemen on this team. I can't see him being moved. And I think mokafisi has been better this year than he was last year. I watched throughout the UCLA game and I didn't see a lot of issues out of him. So I think that maybe what he means by like he'll stay inside is like if there's an injury to any of those spots, he'd be the next man up. He's the sixth man of the offensive line in that regard. We know he even has tackle experience. I can't see Jer. I can't see Jaron Kump bumping Mokafisi out of the starting lineup or Keaton Bills, but I can't see Johnny Maya jump bumping out Jaron Kump. I think Kump has done a fine job, but I think there's been issues and mistakes there that I think Maya, who if he's bumping Kump off, is the starter. It is better, and I thought looked better at center last year when we saw him than Kump has so far this year. So I, I think that makes sense. I think Maya would be a boost to this team up front just in terms of just providing more consistency, which Kyle Whittingham has asked and just stated he wants to see out of his offensive linemen. I think that is something that Johnny Maya provides better than Jaron Kump, just based on what I've seen. Kump does not do a bad job, but I think based on what's played out, Johnny Maya executes at a higher level. Um, as for other players who could be returning from injury, um, we mentioned O'Toole and Fillinger. So you get the two defensive ends there. This would be big to me. I really like having depth along the defensive line. And we talked about it on Monday's show, or actually might have even been the post-game show that I did on Saturday, how key it's going to be for this Utah group once because they can legitimately go eight. They might even go 10 to 12 deep along the defensive line. And as crazy as that seems, you turn on the film and you watch these guys go out there and execute, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're legitimate. Like Utah is six deep at defensive tackle. I think I'm correct in saying that when you factor in uh, junior. Actually, it might be five deep at defensive tackle. And I know they're and they're five deep at defensive end, I feel like, too with some of the guys they got theirs as well. So incredibly deep defensive line for Utah and especially the defensive end, the pass rush, like on third and longs, at least right now, I want Logan Fano and Jonah Ellis out there. I know Connor O'Toole, coach Witt said, right? Best pass rusher on the team. I want to see it. The level that Logan and Jonah are playing at. I have tape of what those guys were. Connor's had another whole offseason to improve and better acclimate himself to the defensive end position. But the last time we saw him there, and what, granted, he was playing better in the Pac-12 championship game, just but over the course of the season, didn't show that level overall. So while I expect an improvement out of him, Logan Fano and Jonah Ellis are just playing at a level right now that I would want them to stay out there. Now, I will say on third and long, I'd love if a Van Fillinger or that, that being Connor O'Toole comes in and rushes from the interior because I think it's nice to have a quick defensive end on a guard sometimes. Guards don't usually hold up in pass protection as well as offensive tackles. But getting both these guys back would be huge. It allows Ellis and Fano to stay fresher if you can get O'Toole and Fillinger in the mix, who are still good pass rushers in their own right, but really elite run defenders to me too. So I think this would be great for Utah if they could get those guys back. And uh, their health is something we're going to be continuing to monitor because we want this team to get healthy. Also, a defensive lineman who played last week that I think is going to be even better this Friday, Samote Peppa. We saw it with Junior Tifuna. Kind of needed a he needed a half to get under his belt, and then he was really dominant against Baylor. I, I think we're going to see the same thing for Samote Peppa in this game. I think he's going to be even better in this one, and we'll see him potentially get a sack, but continue to push the pocket, uh, create that interior pressure that he's able to just do so effectively at a high level. So uh, I'm excited to see more of these guys get healthy and return for uh, for Utah. But before we move on and talk about the basketball programs, I do want to talk about one other aspect of this Utah football team that has been awesome, and uh, that's the punting game. And here's some stats and numbers that the Utah football Twitter account put out about how effective the punt game has been. And actually how just Jack Bomeister has been booming punts all over the field. He has eight punts when the once again, this comes from the Utah football Twitter account. He has eight punts for 50 plus yards, including three over 60. He is 13 for 21 in total punts in the season in terms of that have been down inside the 20 yard line. And he ranks seventh in the FBS and first in the league for punting average at 47 yards. And by league, he means Pac-12. 
incredible. And it's a huge asset to this Utah defense. There was one time I can vividly remember being at the game Saturday in person where he had a monster punt. I was like, that's an awesome punt. And you could see Witt hang back to wait to give Bo Meester five because he was fired up about how good the punt was because having a, a just a, what's so far for this Utah season, Ben, Bo Meester has been a great punter is such just a huge thing for a football team because if your offense stalls in their own territory, happened to Utah a lot last week. You're not worried about, okay, our punter's going to come out here and then the other team's going to have a shorter field to work with. We just listed the numbers of how many times punts have been down inside the 20 for Utah. And those 50 to 60 yard punts, those flip the field position where it's not like, okay, we're punting from our own end zone and, oh no, they're getting the ball um, back on our 50. So they have a short field to work with. No, with Bo Meester punting, you know that they're going to start on their side. No, They're going to start on the other, their own side of the field no matter where the down and distance is because of the leg he's had and how effective he's been. His punts hang in the air forever. doesn't really allow for many punt returns. There's been issues with kickoff coverage. At least there was, of course, against Weber State. There's not been punt coverage issues, and that's just because of how long and how far Bo Meester's punts have gone so far in the season. So it's a huge asset to this Utah team, especially with how good this Utah defense has been. I like that. They can give up a first down, and because there was a shanked like a, sh- a shanked punt or something like that, it's not like oh the other team's already in field goal range. It's like oh Utah's defense gave up one first down, the other team's still seventy yards away from scoring. Like they're still in a good position because more times than not, what Utah's defense has done this season, considering they haven't allowed multiple touchdowns in a single game, is after giving up one first down. If they even gave up that, because a lot of times they haven't, they're getting the stop and forcing the punt after that. So having a great punter has been a huge boost to this Utah program, and Bonehead's leg is going to be big for them because. You want to make Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, all these uh, Shadir, Shador Sanders later in the season, all these potent quarterbacks that Utah is going to play. You want to make them life hard on them offensively. You want to make them have long drives that it makes them more challenging for them to get points. And Bo Meester helps set the table for the defense to have success because of how far back he pins offenses in their own territory with his foot. So hats off to him for what's been a great start to the season, and I can't wait to continue to – just watch him boom those punts. It's always fun too, because you know, as an announcer, when you're a broadcaster, you can just like not me as a broadcaster, but I'm saying like listening to the play by play guys. Um, I always enjoy just hearing that whenever they're surprised, but like, whoa, that's a good punt because they're thinking about a million different things and uh, you know, they're waiting for the return and everything. And sometimes they're get surprised by how good Bo Meester's punts are in general, just because whenever you see a 60 plus yard punt, you're going to be impressed. And Bo Meester's done that multiple times, as we mentioned. So huge boost for this Utah team to have such elite special teams play and particularly what Bo Meester has meant for them as a punter so far in the season. So that's going to do it for our football talk today, but I do want to talk a little bit about the Utah men's and women's basketball teams beginning practice. I'm going to be talking about both of those programs in one moment, but first I want to talk to you guys a little bit about one of the sponsors of today's episode in Jace Medical. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the case, the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you the peace of mind so that you are not just hoping they have access to the best medication in an emergency. You know that Jace Medical provides you with medication in hand so you don't have to panic. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation, the licensed pharmacy medication, delivery, and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. You can get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using my code Locked on. That's all, all caps, no spaces, Locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Alrighty, let's close this episode out with some Utah men's and women's basketball talk. Crazy, as I mentioned at the start, that we're already in this position to be talking about basketball, but both programs are back, and uh, both come in with very different expectations. Uh, let's start with the women's basketball team, um, because they are coming in with sky-high expectations. 
I don't think the AP poll has dropped for the women's basketball yet. I think they will be ranked inside the top five. Like just going off the top of my head, right? LSU, uh, Angel Reese is back. I think they got Haley something from Louisville's down there too. So she's good. Um, obviously you get Caitlin Clark at Iowa, who's fantastic. I do think that Utah nearly beat LSU, the national champion last year. And I think this Utah team, and they return every major contributor. I think they lost a couple of centers, if I remember correctly, but they return most of their major uh, players. Like Alyssa Peely, I think was Pac-12 player of the year. She's back. Jenna Johnson, Gianna Neepkins, Kennedy McQueen, uh, Deja Young. There's so many players we could go down the line, right, that are effective for this team and I think are going to have another strong and big season. I think Utah is set up for success, and I think they, I mean, I'm no problem predicting that you guys can see the Utah stuff in the background, right? Like, I do think this team's going to win the Pac-12 this season. I think they're going to do that. And I think they have a chance to truly be a national contender. All the credit in the world to Lynn Roberts for how she's turned this program around just in a few years where they were kind of middle to bottom of the Pac-12, if I remember correctly, going back to like three or four years ago. And since it's really turned around and now they're one of the elite programs in the Pac-12. And it's been fun to watch. Pac-12, by the way, the best conference when it comes to women's basketball. So that's no small feat that Lynn Roberts has accomplished. She's brought in the talent and those players have bought in, worked hard and executed and this team has a chance to do some special things this season. I know you guys are going to support them well at the Huntsman this coming season as, as they deserve to be supported because of the strong year they're coming off of and how good they're going to be to begin the season as well. So I'm excited to see this women's basketball team get to work. I think they play South Carolina this year too, which should be very exciting. And like the Hall of Fame game classic, I think in like December-ish at some point. But yeah, got to be really excited for the Utah women's basketball team because they are con- I truly believe they're a contender for the national championship. With the amount of returning talent they had, they lost to last year's national champion. I, I think you have to put them in that discussion. And I think that's going to be fun to watch. And we're going to be covering them uh, this season on Lockdown News for sure. We'll also, of course, be covering the men's basketball team who comes in with very different expectations. Uh, a step in the right direction overall last season, but just a very downer of an ending. Yeah, those injuries at the end of the season, then you lose in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament to Stanford, miss out on, um, I, can't, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on what the other tournament is called uh, right now. Man, that's going to drive me nuts, but uh, obviously not March Madness. But the NIT, there we go. The NIT missed out on the NIT. So disappointing stuff. You know, you lose some guys like uh, a Marco Anthony, no longer here. Lazar Stefanovic transfers to UCLA, but you bring in some guys, right? We've been talking about throughout the offseason, like adding a loss in Lovering, a big guy who at first was kind of like, okay, if Brandon Carlson leaves, we need some more size up front. Brandon's staying now. So it's like, okay, we have a strong backup center to pair with another strong backup center in Kaba, who has just continued to get better and going to get better as he just acclimates more to the collegiate game to me. Will exact, I expect to have a nice season too. And uh, that's not all Utah added. Utah added a shooter from Washington, who I think is really effective as well. That now I'm but mad at myself that I'm blanking on his name too. And uh also get Smith, the fast explosive. Oh, see, Cole Bajima and Davion Smith. Shout out Josh Furlong for the assist with uh, me looking at those tweets real quick. But uh, Bajima is a sharpshooter from Washington. And Smith is just a really athletic guard factor in the return of guys like Raleigh Wooster to Gabe Madsen, of course. And I think it's a Utah team that has a chance to have a stronger finish to the season. The schedule broke very well for Utah. Even if they had stayed healthy, it would have been hard for them to win at USC or just actually they might have played at home USC at the end of the year at home. I'm trying to remember now, but either way, like they played USC, Arizona, Arizona state and UCLA at the end of the season last year. And those were really tough games for Utah. I don't know if Utah will be in the top three of the PAC 12 for as long as they were last year, but I do think this would be a team that's, I think they have a chance to be in the top five. I think they will be more firmly in the top seven, or even if they are like just ending with more positive momentum than they did last season because of those new additions and, you hope it's just the law of averages, right? That the health that hit this team so late in the season doesn't happen again this year, although it very well could. So 
going to be interesting to see, but I do think this men's basketball team has a chance to do some nice things. I think they have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. I think it was Joe Lenardi or someone put like Utah is one of his last four in on a way early preview. I saw a couple months ago. So yeah, I think NIT should be the, the floor for this team. And I think they have a shot to make the tournament because of that returning talent, Craig Smith in his third year. So I'm excited to see what the men's basketball program can do. Uh, it's just the fun reminder of like, we're in the full swing of college football season ramping up because we get both men's and women's basketball starting. So it's going to be fun to cover the, both the seasons for those upcoming teams on locked on Utes. But of course that's, game is still like early November. So we got a lot of football to get to. And on tomorrow's show, Spencer McLaughlin joins me to break down the Oregon State game and we'll have predictions as well as key matchup previews for you on Locked on Utes. We look forward to seeing you then.